Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Season 3, Episode 11, our first look at the new Nail NIT consortium that has come into being to study direct links between NITs and outcomes and what these links can tell us about trial design and therapeutic success. This conversation is about the timing and brass tacks of Nail NIT. The group discusses how long it will take for the prospective study to generate results, maybe four to six years, and members also speculate on some potentially powerful questions Nail NIT retrospective analysis might be able to answer even within the next year. In the end, uh, Mazanur Adin invites all companies to get on board Nail NIT train, as he puts it, because as Stephen Harrison states, this consortium means business and will deliver results. Nail NIT has the potential to deliver relatively timely results, perhaps even starting in a year or two, on issues that will improve every element of how we develop and approve medications and tests for Navalin Nash. It's a big thing. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Louise Campbell. Excellent. It's a no-brainer that this will recruit patients a lot quicker. How long do you think it will take? Uh, what What are the volume of patients you're looking at to recruit to these? Mazen Nureddin. Uh, outstanding question, Louise. So the retrospective analysis will reach out to companies we already did. We already have some data, actually, and we're going to just start increasing it. So the, the more, the better. But for prospective study, we have a design in mind. But as I said, this is a, a group's effort. So in the next few weeks, multiple things will happen. We have a timeline within April and March for that. So we are putting a regulatory package with the help of some previous FDA employees. Now they're their own consultant. We will go uh, to the FDA eventually to discuss how we can replace phase three biopsy with other NITs. This initial proposal that we have or the protocol we wrote now, the next step is to vet it with uh, the rest of the steering committee of the prospective study and we have a meeting that is going to be organized sometime in March. You asked about specific numbers so what we think this number is going to be between a thousand to thirteen hundred patients to reach outcomes if you enrich it correctly with the patients with advanced fibrosis. Of course we will look at the other spectrums because we need those as well as a comparable group but it needs to be enriched. Sin touched base on that earlier. It needs to be enriched with the right group to reach the outcome in the next six years, which is the duration of the study, though we hope to get to the mellows or major liver-related outcomes within four years. And this is what we, when we think that we really will be very serious with hopefully FDA approval and STEM to start using a clinical trial. So you, hopefully you can see the thing as, as close as four years, if not earlier, but I want to be media realistic. So there's a four-year maybe result that we'll see and it's a six-year six year study uh, roger the perspective yeah. that's a long time but as as steven said they will be a lot of data coming out from the retrospective indeed uh we just had a call was it today i mean i or yesterday steven i lost sense of time yeah it was but- this morning this morning, yeah. and Jorn Schadenberg and Naima Khoury will be leading the retrospective, and we got down to business, and we have three to four projects that is going to be presented to the steering committee, and talking about this coming ESOR or ASLD abstract and go from there. So you'll start seeing game-changing results very soon as far as when I used to do a lot of public speaking, I gave people a dollar every time they could anticipate my next statement with the thing they said before that. My next question was going to be, so what do we see in a year? So I owe you a dollar. A dollar. Yeah, see what you could do with it. But uh, uh, 
I, I'm not answering that question. It's inflation and dollar doesn't do anything nowadays. You gotta go up on. Okay, I'll buy you. I'll buy you a beer. How's that? That's very convincing, Roger. So let let, let me then talk now. Okay. So I think within a year, I don't know. I don't want to keep talking. I'm, I want to even and send and um, probably take that question. But since you picked on me, I'll say I think within this coming year we will see data from informing the pharmaceutical companies about screening failure rate and factors that contribute to it and urine and Naeem, they were very eloquent about talking about that and they had ideas already. And the screening failure is not just one topic. And I'm, I'm, I'm borrowing Naeem's thoughts this morning. He said, F2, F3 is a different game than the F4, the factors contributing to it, the MOA. This is what Naeem said. I'm just using his own thinking. Another thing we, we will see from the retrospective data, more on treatment response using NIT, as well as see new players that will correlate with outcomes. For instance, the mass score, fast score, FEB, and uh, combine, if, if combining these biomarkers will even increase predictability for outcomes. So you see, like, it's very thoughtful process to um, increase the confidence that the FDA will say, okay, you got it all. Now we're going to replace it with these two and three for treatment response and yada, yada. Sen Soon Dharam. Yeah, my hope is that the next year that we can better address Louise's question, right? You know, how many patients will regulatory agencies want to see in, in these different cohorts? And my hope is that maybe we don't have a specific answer, but my hope is that we have some feedback from one or more regulatory agencies over the next year about how this initiative can really potentially change the uh, the drug development landscape for NASH. Stephen, Amy, anything to add? So can I ask a question? Oh, go ahead, Louise. Well, I was just going to ask a question because I picked up in Marsden the saying, we, we, these patients that fail to be recruited into the clinical trials after they've had a biopsy, are they not ideal candidates to be enrolled into the prospective studies? Because you can then retrospectively look at their biopsies in that context, because they, that wasn't a criteria for enrolling them. But you do have tissue because they've been diagnosed with the disease from all intents and purposes. And it was purely on the subjectivity of the biopsy that they failed. So would that not be an ideal cohort in one arm or to do against normal population? Stephen Harrison. Yeah, Louise, that's a terrific cohort to do. In fact, the ones we've talked about are, would be like the F3s with no ballooning and NAS of three. Uh, in North Sea, for instance, we, we had over 100 biopsies that showed that. F3, NAS of three, no ballooning. That's a patient that clearly has disease, and we just whiffed on finding the balloon hepatocyte. The reality is that patient probably is no different than a patient, you know, where there was a random balloon hepatocyte with F3 disease and an NAS of four. So thinking about this, as we enroll this cohort, I think it could enroll very, very quickly because the majority of enrollment will, will be within the summit network, which is kind of community-based physicians, real world. And as Mazen said, we will have academic sites involved as well because they bring a tremendous value to the equation. But I can tell you at Pinnacle, which has two sites within the Summit Network, one where I'm at in Austin right now and one in San Antonio. We have 31 fatty liver screens this week, 31. And I can tell you that everybody that walks in the door and we go through the consent form, not everybody will sign consent and want to enter the trial. There will be people that will say, thank you, I appreciate everything you've given me the opportunity to be a part of, but I just don't want to be in the study. Okay, great. Would potentially you be willing to follow a long-term outcomes 
trial. If you don't want to take pharmacotherapy that's investigational, can we at least follow you with cutting-edge state-of-the-art technology? And there's another opportunity to follow those patients. So, you know, whether they enroll in a study or not, I think this gives them an opportunity to at least stay engaged and be a part of something that they can follow their liver health each and every year and kind of get an idea of what's happening over time. Amy Articolo. I I love where you're going with this, and I would echo that in a year, maybe we're not going to see all the dramatic changes that we hope for, but my experience, NASH is an ever-changing ride that we see lots of changes in a very short period of time of the great momentum, reflection of the great momentum that we're building. But when we think about the importance of the NASH indicators, especially from the clinical practice lens and getting back to that 30 or 50,000 foot view, I think that as there's more awareness about NASH as a disease and there's more availability of tests, particularly blood-based tests or imaging-based tests, you're going to see, it would be my prediction, you're going to see more and more diagnoses. And that absolutely is something that needs to be addressed, that patients are not being diagnosed early enough. And so there's a missed opportunity to be able to follow them with those technologies that Stephen just mentioned, right? So if they're not going to get into a clinical development program for a variety of reasons, whatever they are, they at least can be followed. And that alone will give us data. That that will also help address the gap that of understanding the nature and course of the disease of rapid progressors, for instance. So uh, within a year, I think with all of the, the momentum, we're going to see more and more of the diagnoses and we'll have a better sense of really just how prevalent this disease is and, and who could benefit from treatment. Okay. So Amy, thanks. Listen, we could go on forever. We're an hour and six minutes in, and I've got five questions I haven't asked yet that I'm just going to refrain from for another day, because I'm sure we'll do one of these with Naeem and and Yorn on the retrospective in a little bit, and maybe have you folks back in a while. Uh, Wrap up, okay? Boy, you know, the wrap-up question was was going to be, what are you going to say? What do you expect of the year? And I think we've kind of been there. What advice would you have for anybody that hasn't joined yet, who's either in a drug company or an academic institution or trial site about why they want about why they want to come into this and what they should do about it. Yeah, I think I'll give it thirty seconds. I'll go not go longer than that. So you have to go as well. So I think people might be thinking that we have we heard that before so many consortiums. But as I said, and I, the names I gave that we have representative from other consortium and they really feel that this isn't a consortium that filled the gap. Most importantly, it's the gap that what the FDA is looking for, which is meeting the outcomes. So. We do have many companies interested. We have two of them are here today. They're showing you their full commitment. Uh, but there are others that we are uh, finalizing step. Um, at one point, this is a stop, a train stop. So we need to get as many people on board as we can. But we want to move fast to, to our goal for our patients' sake. So please get in before uh, we start designing the studies and your biomarker or your ideas are not included. I believe in collaboration and research that has been always my strategy, and I would love to have everyone. Um, and we have a place for you, so please join. That was a minute and five seconds, Mazen, but you know who's counting. Let me just add to that and say, look, if you've been around the block, you've been in business drug development for Nash for a long time, and you've sat on the sideline and you watch things come and go and people say they're going to do something and then don't follow through, I can tell you that that is not going to happen with Nail NIT. We are all about the business of getting beyond the biopsy and utilizing our non-invasive diagnostics and testing strategies for the, the context of use that we've described and working very collaboratively with the FDA. If you're new to the field, if you're just thinking about dipping your toe in NASH, you've got a diagnostic test, you have a therapeutic platform, you want to combine data, this is the place to come. We're we're open and ready to get the ball rolling. So let me stop there and turn it over to Sin and Amy for their final thoughts. 
Yeah, I would echo um, Mazen's comments. You know, the, the, the more the merrier. Uh, this is intended to be uh, uh, very collaborative. In you know, even though uh, you know, Amy and I are, are are on the steering committee here, we're, we're it's not at the exclusion of any other companies. We would love every other uh, company that is developing drugs for Nash to to participate here and and have the same kind of role and uh, participation. Okay, Amy, go ahead. Yeah, my final comments would be: we can't do this alone, and the patients are waiting. So let's join together collectively to really continue this momentum forward. So, Louise, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm just excited. It's a, it's a new world. It's the talk of collaboration between companies, the talk of combining data, the talk of getting rid of those silos. I think it's really, really encouraging. And for any patients that are coming through, the world is moving to try and support you and get you through and find outcomes and find solutions. What I heard tonight was all about solutions and getting to the solution in the best and most appropriate way for patients and getting data to get to those solutions so i'm really encouraged and i the next four or five years six years this sounds very exciting i agree i like to think the path there is exciting too so just because i'm a statistician and i do stupid pinhead things that statisticians do um one of the things i took away from nashtag was the idea that we talk about how a biopsy captures one fifty thousandth of a liver well if you've got 14 slides that means you've got one seven hundred thousandth of a liver on the slide that you're using to capture the liver and because livers are fundamentally heterogeneous there's no reason to be certain that the one hundred seven thousandth that you're getting that would capture a balloon hepatocyte. Played those numbers through a little bit more, and I might be wrong, but I had in my mind an average of two to three balloon hepatocytes a cell, if all nine have to agree, which means with any reasonable margin of error, everything we're talking about today in terms of taking pieces of livers out of patients and then not using them because we've been too careless about the underlying statistics of what we've just done. Sorry to use the word careless. This is a very careful group of people, but that particular piece of stats doesn't make any sense to me, no more so than the... uh, Davison paper on the Cirrus, that's where I broke my own rule, stood up at Nashtag and said, I promised I wouldn't say anything at this meeting, but my marketing research clients would fire me with that data point. So these are places where what we're talking about, what you folks are doing is really important. But on one level, to me, it's just common sense, which is aggregating data in a way to ask a question that goes, which of these things doesn't belong and how quickly can we figure out what belongs better? And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with an episode honoring Black History Month, looking at how the interplay of genomics and social determinants of health shape the challenges inherent in treating NAPL and NASH among non-Hispanic Blacks in the U.S. and presumably wherever else non-Hispanic Blacks live. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you next week on Surfing the Nash Tsunami Podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.